Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's going to be that time of year where you'd really like to slither on into a hot tub. I'm sure four degrees outside or so here in Edmonton. It's Brendan Escott in for Bob Stoffer today on Oilers Now, where some guests receive gift certificates to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night out on the town, every meal is an occasion at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. You already know that the best fans in the game need the best content. Go live and behind the scenes with Oilers Plus. Access live practice coverage, pre- and post-game shows, behind-the-scenes original series, and much, much more. Subscribe now at OilersPlus.com. Use the promo code OILERSNOW. That's all capitalized. Oilers Now for a free three-day trial. 780-496-0063 780-496-0063 is the number to text. We're talking, uh, well, your your early temperature check, shall we say, on the Oilers, who are now embarking out on the road first time this season. We'll see them in uh, road action as the road warriors, and we know that that can be a good thing for teams. Narrow the focus in and uh, and get down to business. They're able to do that. It hasn't always happened for them early in these games. In fact, I would suggest that it hasn't happened yet early in these games. Let's head to the phone lines now. The River Cree Resort Casino Hotline. We've got Frank Saravalli waiting from Daily Faceoff for the Horses Horse Racing Alberta. Live thoroughbred racing each Friday and Saturday at Century Mile. More info at thehorses.com. Frank, you're on with Brendan today. How's it going? Hey, Brendan, I'm really good. How are you? Excellent, thank you. So let's start with your temperature check on the Edmonton Oilers, a pretty good opponent in town last night. Frankly, they had some pretty good opponents through all six of those home games, and they were able to escape with a 500 record. What are your early thoughts on this edition of the Edmonton Oilers? You know, it's it's sort of been... Um some good and some mediocre, I guess, is probably the fair way to explain it. Like, the second period outburst last night against the Pens and the way that they absolutely dominated was impressive. The six goals and still kind of mind-blowing that nine goals were scored and uh, you had so few McDavid and Crosby points, a, a zero on the board for McDavid. I think our friend Jack Michaels had that tweet earlier today that, I think it was 59 times it's been in the McDavid era that the Oilers have scored six goals, and he didn't factor in on any of them for only the third time. Um, kind of crazy, but, you know, you think back to, you know, really the win over the Canucks to kick things off on this massive six-game homestand to start, and uh, you've got back-to-back losses against the Flames and, and Sabres, a really nice win over Carolina, a team that's structured and smart shut out and shut down against the blues. Like it's, there have been some impressive moments, but there have also been some, you know, not head scratching, but early season. Hey, let's figure this thing out. For sure. And it's a team that's still, I I think trying to find 
a way to implement all of the different pieces that it's picked up over the last, say, 18 months and, and figure out what it looks like when this becomes like a really unstoppable team. One of the big things that's trending in the right direction this year has been the play of Ryan McLeod and helping solidify that third line center role. He's a pretty effective penalty killer when given the opportunity. And uh, you see him get in with a beautiful goal last night. So you see a player who, to me, Frank, his confidence is elevating. And with it, we're seeing some offense too. Yeah, and I think you're also seeing a really smart player. Like that's been the big thing that stood out to me is he his confidence has continued to grow, but you're starting to see once it becomes less um you know, reactionary, more you're able to think a little bit ahead. The game starts to slow down a bit. That hockey sense kind of comes out a little bit more. And I think that's really the root of his success is, is his ability to think the game. And so that's been impressive. And um, I just think that third line is so important in general, Brendan, for this team's overall success. And in terms of setting the tone, um, you know, consistency, when you, when you have a third line and, and really that's, what's been missing from this team, you know, going back a number of years, like, to have a line that you can have confidence in, how many years in a row were we saying that the Oilers are the best team in the league when 29 and 97 are on the ice, but they're one of the worst teams when they're on the bench. And that's changed in such a big way with, you know, guys like that able to anchor a line and, and also, you know, not just um, be able to hold their own, but at times able to drive play, which I think is really important. And he's got guys, when he's centering that third line, that can skate with him. Warren Fogle got the praise of Jay Woodcroft in the postgame last night, Frank, for the work ethic and uh, the style that he's playing right now, that tenacious checking style, which is really the brand they've got to be asking from that third line. I think Fogle's having more success with that so far than Pugliarvi, and maybe a stat to outline that just through, you know, four games played for Fogle and five for Pugliarvi. Fogle's even, and Pugliarvi's dash four, so. Uh, depending on you know person to person, you're going to invest your own amount of stock in the plus minus stat. But uh, for for those two players, you know, I think that there's certainly the potential there. But uh, one of them is drawing the praise of the coach, and the other is um, still trying to find his footing. I would suggest this year on a three million dollar contract. This time, when we're talking about Pulley yeah, and look, I mean, no shock that he's sort of obviously been a, a lightning rod and and things like that um, in terms of how you view um, Pugliarvi and his game and the marketplace and, and all those different things. Um, it, it's, you mentioned the, the idea of, you know, sort of being key on that four check for Fogel and not to compare the two, but um, just sort of that relentless style and intensity. Um, I can't say enough about how critical that is for this team's success moving forward in terms of having a line that can create an identity is really important. Chatting with Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff for our friends at the Horses, Horse Racing Alberta. Big 6-3 win for the Oilers last night. Now, Frank, they uh, they get to head out, and fortunately, they do with their captain in tow. Scary incident last yeah. night when you got the player playing at, at that speed, and you know they have the moorings designed in a way that has that give for the net, but uh, he hit his, his lower back, his pelvis area, and the whole rink helped its collective breath i think it was more than the whole rink it was like <laughs> the collective hockey world i i was watching and then i saw 
the reaction on social media and immediately, you know, queuing up my team at Daily Faceoff, like, hey, hurry up, let's get a post up about McDavid leaving the game. And, you know, everyone's sort of wondering, what does this mean? It's pretty rare to see him sort of lay on the ice for a second to sort of collect himself and, I don't know what your flexibility is like, Brennan, but like the human body was not meant to to bend backwards like that. And so it looked like it hurt. And I think it kind of also looked like it affected him a little bit the rest of the game. I'm sure that he was sore. Um, and so I think everyone's just thankful probably that, you know, unless you play for the Blues or the Blackhawks these next few games that, um, 97's okay. Yeah, I think they call that the uh, the scorpion when the back bends the oh. wrong way like that. It, an ugly I can sound. barely tie my shoes, so like I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You and me both, uh, Frank. Yeah, that's something. Oh no, a good. uh, And and I think the other thing that really stood out to me was just how much of a rallying point that was for the Oilers. I know Leon took it upon himself, finished the night with three points, and and really kind of, uh, you know, grabbed the game at that point. It shows to me a real maturity of the the group to be able to step up to a man and and realize that okay, we got to will ourselves back into this thing, and maybe that's the shock that they needed. Yeah, I think more than that, when you watch Leon title in the game last night, there was all this talk heading in about 87 versus 97 and what does this mean? And there's a guy, he's kind of sitting over here waving like, hey, has anyone forgotten about me? Like, I, I've won a Hart Trophy. Um, you can't forget about, forget about Dry. I mean, that's a, a big thing um, when you look at this team and, and all the success that they enjoy, like, not to be overlooked by any means and for whatever reason yet as you continue down the path and and you watch what mcdavid does on a nightly basis it, it somehow does get overlooked and probably shouldn't and so a pretty good reminder for us all after uh seeing him take that game over just exactly how important he is and then you think about how many face-offs he takes and coming out even to start penalty kills just to win draws because he's the most reliable guy and then he heads off and, and they get the change in. So Leon is obviously completely invaluable to this team and that, Frank, is the understatement of this segment. As we move on, uh, around well, the Well, his ice time was way down yesterday too, 17 minutes and change. He had been at 23, 25 minutes a night for most of the season to this point. Yeah. It's amazing how efficient he is and what he's able to accomplish. And they only had 11 forwards going last night, something else to consider. So, uh, But when you've got yeah. Ryan McLeod playing to the level that he is, you can distribute the minutes more evenly. And, uh, you know, I think that, that that's... That should be the goal is to, if you're, if you're Jay Woodcroft, to be able to, like, how often, you know, and I, I always think back to this as the Battle of Alberta was getting rolling, Brendan, and the sort of shots that he had made at very quietly or between the lines about Jacob Markstrom and his 63 games Mm -hmm. played last year. I think it was an important reminder for everyone just how workload can be a factor. And if you can get a night where you're up a few goals in the third period, because you've been able to dismantle a really talented Pittsburgh team that have been cruising on all cylinders to this point, really that you can afford to give your, your third line some extra time if they're going to play the way that they did. And you can say, Hey, you know what? Even on a night where we only have 11 forwards, like 29 only needs to play 17 minutes. That is 
absolutely perfect with travel and two back-to-back games coming up. It just seemed to be smart workload and and uh, and management. Load management is something that Jay Woodcroft specifically said that he talked about with Raptors head coach Nick Nurse when Nurse was in town at the beginning of the month for the Raptors preseason games. So I wonder, I mean, of course, it wouldn't be a brand new concept to Woodcroft, but probably something that was further cemented in watching how Nick Nurse handled Kawhi Leonard back then. I know Woodcroft cited that. So there's a prime example And the NBA is a different beast. Totally. I mean, when you're, you have your star players playing 45 to 48 minutes a night, it's a totally different animal. But still, like, look at this week as a great example. I mean, they've got three games in four days coming up here and a pretty long flight to St. Louis and then over to Chicago real quick and right back up to Alberta on Saturday night um, just down Highway 2. Like, that's a lot going on in a four-day span. And if you can, even six, seven, eight minutes that he plays fewer than, than some other games in the last few weeks, I think that goes a long way. Chatting with Frank Saravalli from uh, Daily Faceoff for our friends at the Horses, Horse Racing Alberta. Uh, I want to talk Buffalo in a second here because they've definitely been a pleasant surprise, but let's stay in the Pacific Division with the winless Vancouver Canucks, Frank. This story keeps slipping further and further out of control. They were close against Carolina last night, a 3-2 loss, but ultimately uh, still winless on the West Coast. Maybe, um, like, what are your thoughts on this? It wasn't supposed to be this bad. Oof. I don't even know where to start. Honestly, I've talked about the Canucks so much in the last 10 <laughs> days. Like I, I don't know what's left to pick at the carcass, but there's so many things to unpack with, you know, you look at not just where they are, but like the injuries they have and where they're heading. Like they've got Seattle who is much improved on Thursday and then Pittsburgh is in there on Friday to wrap up their trip. I think and you're looking at it and you go, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they get through these first, what, nine games of the year and still be winless. I hate to count anyone out, um, but, like, when you take a look at, you know, where this team would need to get to, to go through that chunk of a season and really have nothing to show for it, it's going to be really hard to dig out of that mess. Like it, it's getting late early to borrow a line from Yogi Berra. And the thing is, I don't know where, you know, there's no magical elixir out there that's going to suddenly allow this team to turn the corner. Like they're thin on defense already. And now they've got injuries with Hughes being week to week. And, you know, their stars have, have really struggled at times this year. There clearly seems to be some, friction with the comments that Bo Horvat had and then you know the idea that management is is beginning to think about the idea of a rebuild and and then you hear their coach out there openly questioning their effort like there's so much going on I, it, it seems like the world's probably spinning 200 miles an hour to the Canucks at the moment as they're in this firestorm and you know I think a lot of people have looked at it and said well mathematically obviously they're not out of it a couple wins here would get them sort of right back in the mix. But given all those factors that we just talked about, I don't know what the long-term solution is in terms of how do you fix a team that has a real issue with talent on their back end. Those guys are hard to find. No one's going to toss you a lifeline, and there's only so much you can ask of Thatcher Demko. 
who everybody expects to be a Vesna favorite, but not due to the volume of shots that he's facing because of oh. a beleaguered back end. And and yet here we go, trending in that direction. But Demko's goals against average is north of four so far. So you know he's just getting his shelled. His expected save percentage is in the 700s. Oh man, yeah, tough times on the West Coast, and the, the fan base never really gives the team a break when it's tough times, Frank. So when you see the jerseys getting tossed on the ice from seven games into the season, it's just you know it's tough and and lots have franchises have had those moments in time it's you know you just want the best competition i I was excited to see what the the canadian teams were all going to be able to do in the competition for the pacific division given what calgary and edmonton had built in the offseason but uh like how how likely is it that we see a coaching change there just given the fact that there was one that not that long ago well i think it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility like for the reasons i mentioned you can't let this go on too long you can't let this season truly swirl down the drain the way that it did last year waiting until december 4th before finally pulling the plug um i don't think that's their first preference but i wouldn't be shocked to see it given you know that bruce boudreau asked for an extension this summer and didn't get one and that he wasn't the guy that was hired by jim rutherford and patrick alvine I also wouldn't count out the idea, Brendan, of a significant trade to really shake things up. Like, you know, uh, the easiest target to to look at in terms of who could potentially be on the move has to be Bo Horvat, given that he is sort of the guy sticking out like a sore thumb with the fact that he doesn't have a contract for next season and beyond. Homegrown talent in the sense that he's drafted and developed He's been their captain, part of their emotional leadership group, and has been through a lot. To see other guys around him taken care of, I think that's been a point of of concern and and certainly a point of contention. So, you know, if you're you're making a move and you have a guy out here that's your captain saying, I I don't know that we're ever going to win here. Um, Yeah, there was some frustration that built up into that answer, but... um, you know, I would think that with the value that Bo Horvat would have out there, he'd be the first sort of choice to really try and shake it up. One more for our uh, from Daily Faceoff. It's Frank Saravalli on the line, or Volley rather, Frank Saravalli. And uh, let's end it on a positive note. Frank Buffalo is is really looking like the arrow is pointing in the right direction. Finally, it's mm-hmm. been a great start to the season for Rasmus Dahlin on the back end, uh, goal a game basically there for for the former first overall pick. Um, culture change, it seems, with Dom Gran- Don Granado at the helm. Yeah, look, that's been a big part of their success, but it's also been the continued growth and maturity of their players. Like, I think it it goes a long way having people, we were just talking about Vancouver, people that want to be there. And when you see people like Alex Tuck come in and you get rid of other players on their their roster that necessarily didn't want to be there, uh, and you have some others willing to sign up long-term, like a Matias Samuelson uh, that are fully bought in, um, and you see the step that Darlene has taken, like an incredible stat that our, our Tyler Uremchuk threw at us the other day. Rasmus Darlene is something like, he, he's been in the league five years. He's something like the 19th youngest defenseman playing this season. Still? So they've got two number one overall picks that are playing on that blue line, the first blue line ever in NHL history. They've got room to grow, obviously, and I don't know if they're going to break through and finally be a playoff team this year, 
But when you see a night like you guys just did in Edmonton and you get a great game from Eric Comrie and you start to think like, okay, maybe they're beginning to check some of those positional boxes. Who knows if Comrie is a long-term answer, but they've got a few prospects coming in net that you can start to really see it all come together. And that's got to be pretty exciting because honestly, having you know been to all 32 markets a bunch of times, like Buffalo is a great hockey town and one that I think the league has sorely missed out on not having that passion in the last decade to really help fuel things. And um, it almost feels like they're a, a team and market that a lot of people root for as sort of a lovable loser. And it's been fun to watch. Well, they've got a great reverse retro jersey when that gets debuted too, Frank. I appreciate you hopping on the show this afternoon, okay? Thanks a lot, Brandon. Have a good one. Absolutely. Frank Saravalli from uh, Daily Faceoff. Brendan Escott in today for Bob Stoffer. We're right up against the clock, but we'll take a quick time out here and then I'll try and sell you something on the other side. Brendan Escott here. Guess who just closed all of their browser windows by accident? Whoops. Looks like I still have the text window open, though. <laughs> It's 12.56 in Edmonton. Okay, Uh, you're looking for a great Oilers road trip. Why not join Oilers now in Vegas this January to see the Oilers play the Golden Knights and all the famous Vegas attractions. This new West Travel Hockey Package includes airfare, three nights at the five-star Cosmopolitan Hotel right there on the Vegas Strip, some game tickets, and a welcome reception with Bob and special guests. I hear uh, the great ones have been a special guest once or twice. For the Oilers now Vegas hockey package. Call New West Travel or visit newwesttravel.com. All right, 780-496-0063 is the number to text Randy from Brooks. Frequent texter, he says, tomorrow's game versus the Blues will be a big litmus test. They got shut out uh, just a game ago by St. Louis. Oil can play a high-event game and be successful, but can they do it in a low-event defensive battle? Very good question, Randy, because as we know, when things get more important later in the season, the 6-5 score lines go away, and it becomes the 2-1 hockey game. And there's been a lot of those tight hockey games in Edmonton through the first six. But I agree with you, Randy, and the fact that they get to try and prove themselves against a St. Louis team who is always one of the most difficult to get past in the West, at least in the last probably five to ten years anyway. So they get to do it again, having dropped essentially a one nothing contest. Justin Falk had the 200-foot empty netter. What has Yamamoto done, says another texter. He's checked hard, but other than that, he hasn't done a lot. And when you're making $3 million, you better be doing more than checking hard. And that's kind of the point that I was making about Poliarvi before. And uh, same can be said for Warren Fogle, right? He's on 2.75. These are three players who really need to get themselves going. Will it happen on the road? We'll find out tomorrow, 6 o'clock against St. Louis. Coming up, though, we're going to check in with uh, in Vancouver, with just how the team's doing. it's it's Israel Fair is going to come on. He's the uh, a senior editor for The Athletic. And we're going to talk about, well, everything Frank just laid out and a little bit more as the uh, the Pacific Division. Looking a little different than we originally expected. It's Brendan Escott here. We'll send it off to a Global News weather traffic update with Eileen Bell.